welcome to Military History Inside Out, brought to you by War Scholar. We talk about military history from ancient times to modern and everything in between. I'm Chris Alvarez, and thank you for listening. I'm speaking with Brian Herskowitz, screenwriter and producer. We'll be talking about the show Tour of Duty, which was about the Vietnam War and ran from 1987 to 1990, a particular favorite of mine. Um, but Brian has worked on a number of projects. Uh, he's the writer of Process to Product, From Concept to Script, a practical guide for the screenwriter, which is uh, well-regarded, has great reviews on Amazon, was published January 2019. So we'll get a little bit into screenwriting as well. But yeah, thank you for speaking with me. Well, thank you for having me. I really yep. appreciate it. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Um, so since we're talking about tour of duty, tell me, let's go back in time and tell me how you got involved with that show. Sure. So um, tour of duty, when it first started uh, in 1987, one of the uh, producers on the show, the associate producer, was a gentleman by the name of Vahan Musikia. Uh, I had actually come out to Los Angeles uh, about mm, about ten years earlier, that's about nine years earlier, 1978, to become an actor. And I was, uh, you know, that was my that was my goal. And I was a struggling young actor, uh, failing miserably. <laughs> and uh, Vahan Musikian, uh, also being a producer, was also an actor, and we had an acting class together. And I was in a place where my girlfriend at the time was getting antsy about, you know, when I was going to get a real job and, and marry her. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I, I was talking to Vahan and he said, uh, I need somebody to help me with the show. Would you, would you come on as my assistant in post-production? He was, he was doing the post-production producing and he needed someone to help him out. And I thought, well, you know, a steady paycheck sounds good. Uh, I started with, the show as his assistant. Uh, and within, by the end of the season, I was the post-production supervisor. Uh, the very next season I became an associate producer and the season after that I wrote for the show. So I kind of made a little bit of a leap each year as we went forward. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I eventually married that woman and we're still together. (laughs) That's excellent. Excellent. Well done. Mission accomplished. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, so one of the things I really liked about the show or like about the show is that uh, it really tried to address, you know, it wasn't a rah-rah show necessarily, though it did have its right. moments that, you know, were at the right time, but it tried to um, deal with racism in the military, with drug abuse, yeah. with, yeah. Um, and, and at times making the enemy sympathetic, though not supportive of the enemy necessarily. Um, right. It tried to look at both sides. Um, can you tell me, how did they, you know, tell me about that approach to the show, um, what they well, wanted. I, I really, I, I want to kind of take you through, if I may, a little bit of the, the journey behind the curtain. Because <laughs> the the show had a, kind of a schizophrenic personality over the three years that it was on the air. Mm-hmm. When it was first, when it, when it was first conceptualized, it was conceptualized by Steve Duncan and Travis Clark, um, L. Travis Clark and Steve Duncan. And they had brought this, the script and the story to uh, the gentleman who was producing, Zeb Braun, the executive producer. Mm-hmm. And Zeb Braun brought on a, a writer-director named Bill Norton. Bill Norton rewrote the script entirely. And his, his concept was, we want to go in and do a show about the guys in combat 
he basically there was a there was a series in the 1950s and 60s called Combat, mm-hmm. and he wanted it to be kind of a a re re envisioning of that story, the idea that you know the the heroic heroic men are guys in the field, and that was the first season, and that did very well. It set the the kind of the the tone. Bill left the show, and in the second season, uh, a gentleman came in. And he, his idea was a little bit different. He did not have a military background, um, and he didn't really want the show to follow in the footsteps of combat. But unfortunately, he kind of took the tack that he wanted it to be. Our guys suddenly were doing like there were hookers being murdered in Saigon, and, and they were going to investigate that. So he took it in a kind of a more television fantasy direction mm-hmm. and that went on in the second season and the third season was when steve smith who was a vietnam veteran who had written a book about his experiences um took over as the executive producer and it was my favorite season of the show mm-hmm. and that was the season really when we got into some of the deeper questions about you know morality and in war um i actually wrote an episode that was loosely based on the My Lai massacre mm-hmm. where our guys at that, that, uh, season, our guys, uh, become members of SOG, the special, uh, operations group. Mm-hmm. And they were put into the field to give support to, uh, a, a, a platoon. And they come upon, uh, a village that had been decimated. And there's, uh, one of the, a gentleman named uh, in in the script was Lieutenant Beller, who had actually been in charge of the platoon that m- murdered all these civilians. Mm-hmm. And it talked about you know how fear and paranoia and you know being constantly on guard, how that got into the people's minds and triggered them. And based on that, that's when we actually got into the drug use because after seeing this kind of horrible event, one of our one of our guys, Purcell. Um, started smoking heroin laced uh marijuana mm-hmm. uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't let us have him shoot up <laughs> that was yeah. that was when the network drew, drew the line there mm-hmm. but that was initially the idea was that he was going to get hooked on heroin mm-hmm. and uh an opium but we went to opium laced marijuana they 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 were okay with that mm-hmm. so that's what we did and that season for me was the one that took uh, a real step toward really talking about what is it like you know, in war, what are the people, you know, who are on the front lines dealing with? What are they battling against? You know, what's good? What's bad? You know, how do, how do they move forward? Um, we had, uh, that, that was the season that we brought on Carl Weathers, mm-hmm. uh, and he had, had a, a, a racially mixed child and we had episodes that dealt with that. Um, we also had, um, that season we had, uh, Lee Majors, the six million dollar man, was on as kind of this crusty old soldier, mm-hmm. and it was just uh, we really had a great time taking it back to the roots of what is really the experience of the soldier and talking about the guy's emotional life. Mm-hmm. And we hadn't really done that as much a little bit in the first season, not so much in the second season. Then we really got back to it in the third season. Mm-hmm. One of the things I really like about the show is that. Um... You know, obviously, it's the one group of guys goes through a whole bunch of things that, you know, historically, you probably wouldn't have seen one group go through all that, you know, but you bring it 
for dramatic purposes, you, you have the same characters people like going through all of this. Um, but I believe each episode opens with like some historical fact to establish the basis for that episode. Um, right. What sort of historic, so one of the things I'm interested in is the, what historical consultants you had, because the war, depending on how you want to consider the ending of the war, it was 15 or 16 years, uh, between the end of the war and when this series started. Um, what sort of historical consultants did you have? And, and also as far as, you know, sets and that sort of thing, how did you approach that, the, the nuts and bolts of making it as historical right. as possible? Yeah. Uh, in the first season we had, a uh, initially a full-time research assistant who, uh, was responsible for, you know, kind of guiding us on in terms of story source and, and what actually was happening at that time you know, kind of moment to moment, day to day. Um, I think I'm pretty sure that we began the series. Um, we were like at 1966, 1967 mm -hmm. and went forward from there. And we went through the assassination of Martin Luther King and the death of, uh, of Kennedy and, you know, uh, uh, Robert Kennedy. Um, you know, so we, we had, we had some kind of like timeline of what the major events and history were that were happening around the world. Um, so the first season we had a researcher, the third season, the, actually we brought in, we had a, we had someone from the DOD that was a, uh, a consultant and, you know, we ran everything by them. We'd say, you know, and, and usually, you know, they, they do all that they can to kind of allow you some, some creative, you know, freedom, but they'll also say to you, you know, that didn't happen and it couldn't happen. So for instance, we were talking about, you know, when, when our guys became a, a, a SOG, uh, group that, that, you know, usually that wasn't the way that, that a platoon was formed. You know, that wasn't usually how the SOG groups came about, but in this case, they said, yeah, possibly it could happen like that. So once we got an okay, yeah, maybe it could possibly happen like that. Then we would take that on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the Department of Defense was very, uh, instrumental in allowing us to kind of, um, you know, take the stories wherever we needed it to go. And we really, uh, kind of counted on them to help us keep it real and keep it believable and keep it honest. Um, and, and that's, we, you know, we felt a great, uh, amount of, uh, you know, duty to the troops, to the people that had served and to make sure that, you know, we weren't, you know, in any way besmirching them and that we were also, you know, paying homage to, you know, to the sacrifices that they had made. So that was always in the forefront of our mind. And, and like I said, when in the third season, Steve Smith, who had been on from the beginning, uh, he was a Vietnam veteran mm -hmm. and he was also just an amazing resource. So, you know, we would have days where, you know, we go, hey, you know, not sure what we're doing and, and, you know, couldn't get the, I, I can't remember if he was a lieutenant or captain who our, our consultant was, but, uh, I have to look it up, but, you know, we, you know, if we couldn't get a hold of him right away, we go to Steve and say, Hey, Steve, you know, what, what would happen around here? What would, what would do, you know, what, under these circumstances, you know, what would you do? And he, you know, he knew so much about it because he had lived it. Uh, he'd written about it and he was just a really, really great guy to have around that purpose and on also a terrific writer and he went off to exec produce other shows after he did that so hmm. um but that was how we kept you know that that and of course every writer and everybody on the show did their own research uh you know would go through and you know try and figure out 
stories that they wanted to deal with. And uh, I was, like I said, I was, I was actually fortunate enough to bring the story of, you know, the drug abuse into, into the show and, uh, and to get into this kind of me massacre situation and how that happened and, you know, how it could be, you know, how, how people could end up in that situation and, and take those actions mm-hmm. and make it hopefully sympathetic and believable that these events happen to people in war. I'm speaking with Brian Herskowitz, author of Process to Product, and also a producer and writer on the Vietnam War show Tour of Duty. You can find more information on Brian at brianherskowitz.com. If you like this podcast so far, please subscribe to it and rate it if you can. Please go to my website, warscholar.org or militaryhistorypodcast.com for links to news, videos, new books, and my social media links. If you're interested in other kinds of history, you can find the links to my other podcasts and associated book lists at historyrabbithole.com. That's rabbit as in the animal, historyrabbithole.com. Thank you for your support. And now back to the podcast. Um, what kind of, do you know what kind of mail you got from vets? Um, oh yeah, we, we, we got, you know, all kinds of supporting mail from people and, you know, we, we would get things from, from guys, you know, talking about, you know, the experiences they had. And once in a while you get somebody who said, you know, that's not how it happened and, you know, that's not real, but generally the support was really strong for the show. Um, you know, it, it's just, I wish I wish we had been able to have a longer run at it. And, you know, I think we were really fine in our feet in the third season. I would love to, to go on for another four or five years. But mm-hmm. but, I, you know, I think that the veterans that, that came on and that talked to us and, you know, the people that we met, I think they gen, genuinely appreciated the show and genuinely thought that we captured what, you know, their experience was like with with the you know, obviously there's a television gloss over it. It's not. You know, it's not really, it's not really war, it's war adjacent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to keep that in mind. But it, it, I think we, we got really good support from people. Mm-hmm. Now, the, um, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting to see that the show had, you know, as they say, falling ratings in the third season. So it was canceled. But, yeah. you know, was it really losing interest or is it more one of those things where it's just not in the right time slot and maybe there's other stuff going on, you know? You know, it was a lot of different things. They had moved us around quite a bit, trying to find a place for the show to, to get an audience. And, you know, we we were doing okay. We were actually either, you know, second or, you know, sometimes we'd win our night. Sometimes we were second uh, in the night. And, and they look at that, but they also look at, you know, overall numbers and the expense of the show and, you know, do they want to continue on with it? And I I can't say exactly why they canceled the show mm-hmm. uh, i do think our numbers were generally struggling and one of the things that happened is we were on opposite often china beach mm. which was another show about vietnam in that same era yeah. and we were actually just kind of coincidentally almost in sync in terms of where we were historically mm-hmm. so for instance we did our show about you know the assassination of uh, martin luther the king the same week we did ours, China Beach came out with theirs. Hmm. Now, we didn't talk to them about it. It wasn't like, hey, we're going to do a show like this. Why don't you do one, too? Hmm. In fact, you know, if anything, would would have been furthest from the truth. But that's that's how it happened. And we did a, we did a show about uh, tunnel rats, you know, about the guys that would go into the tunnels. And hmm. usually they were 
you know, really small guys that were able to maneuver in the small type spaces. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they did it too. But they had a much bigger budget. They had much more support from the network. And they were able to do everything a little bit bigger and a little bit, you know, more grandiose than us. Very much, not not nearly as, I think, accurate an experience. It was, you know, because it was really more about the the, uh, the hospital base and, and mm-hmm. more about nurses and their involvement with the with the soldiers and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. they, we had very different purviews in terms of the show, but, you know, they had a lot more money. So like when we did a tunnel show, we, we were able to build two little pieces of tunnel. You know, they had, mm-hmm. they had like, you know, uh, uh, three miles of tunnel. It was just, <laughs> they had more money. So right. that was one of the things I think that, that really kind of bumped us was that uh, China beach was doing better than us and was able to kind of, garner a bigger audience and i think they looked at it and went well that's a you know that's the popular vietnam show so we're going to move on mm-hmm. now i'll say uh what well, china beach i i'm not commenting on the quality but when i was young i never watched it you know to me it seemed like yeah. it was a soap opera and i you know wh- whether that's the case or not i don't even know because i i haven't watched it um <laughs> Yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, it, it, I don't know if it was so much soap opera per se, but but it was absolutely a show that was it was a television version of Vietnam, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't made for the troops. Mm-hmm. It was made to entertain an audience. Mm-hmm. We weren't really made for the troops either, but we were true to the experience, and or at least we tried to be. Mm-hmm. One of the things, um, the main guys in the show, and then the one um, uh, female. Um, character in the show they i felt like and i'm not asking about behind the scenes how they got along but they had it felt like they were really interesting to watch there was a good chemistry at least on screen yeah um absolutely the the characters uh terrence knox who played that was kind of the the head honcho he, he was sergeant uh anderson mm-hmm. um he and steve caffrey who was lieutenant goldman um, you know, they got along really well. And, uh, so did, I, in fact, everybody did, uh, you know, Miguel Nunez, Ramon Franco and Stan Foster. And, uh, and then there were some people that came on, like I think I mentioned, you know, uh, uh, that we had Lee Majors and we had, uh, Carl Weathers who came in for a little while and, mm-hmm. and the late John Dye, who was our, our medic for a while. Mm-hmm. Doc Hockberry. Um, they, they, everybody, it was really, you know, they really did get along very well and they really did you know care about each other and support each other you know if there were problems that they were having on the set or behind the scenes i didn't see it mm-hmm. you know i think in every every show at some point somewhere somebody's gonna you know get their hackles up about either a show or you know somebody getting in their face and you, you know you never know but i i didn't see a whole lot of that mm-hmm. so we were talking about sort of the you know the realism of the show and yeah there's stuff that's dramatic the the one scene, this kind of a lighthearted question, the one scene, even though I could accept a lot of, you know, okay, that's for dramatic purposes. The one scene that made me pause and say, hey, wait a minute, was when they, uh, do you remember the one where they stole the Christmas presents from the Master Sergeant, I think? Um, do you remember that episode? No. <laughs> the, I don't. I don't remember that where They were bringing <laughs> gifts to the, uh, to the kids at the orphanage right, and the right, nun. Right. Um, that's probably stretching it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. it was kind of like, eh, wait, but it was still, a, it, it was still a fun scene, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and, and, and 
that's what I feel like the show always, at least for me, it always was engaging in some way, you know, like either if it was an unhappy scene or a happy scene or an exciting scene, I just felt engaged. So what about the, um, the Vietnamese? I felt it, it's hard for me to gauge whether they got it historically accurate, but it seemed like they delved quite a bit into the Vietnam, uh, North Vietnamese Viet Cong side. Um, yeah. Are you able to address how you guys a, collected? A little, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, again, you know, part, part of it is, you know, the research of that is difficult because we don't know what their experience was. You know, we only know it from our side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you try and create as writers and producers, you try and create really well-rounded characters that are not just simply, you know, cutouts of, of what you think it is, but to try and get into what are people, what's their motivation? What's behind it? What are they feeling and thinking? And, you know, again, I, I, I'm, I, I don't mean to just harp on my episode, but, Mm-hmm. One of the things that we had in the episode that I wrote was we had a North Vietnamese uh, soldier who had defected mm-hmm. and had was their guide. Um, and he's the one who takes them. They find the village where the massacre is. And one of the things that happened is uh, in the episode is that this this soldier from North Vietnam, who is now a scout or a guide for us, um, he and Purcell, um, who ends up getting into the drugs, um, they have a, they have a confrontation because he's basically, he's racist and prejudiced against the Vietnamese in general and specifically the North Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. And he looks at this guy as, you know, pardon the, the word gook, you know, mm-hmm. he looks at him like he's, he's the enemy. Right. And this actor uh, in the, in the story that I wrote, he ends up taking a bullet that saves Purcell. Mm-hmm. And, when that happens, of course, it changes his perspective because suddenly this guy who is just one of them and an enemy who had been there to help them and to be a part of their their team proves that he's loyal mm-hmm. in a way that costs him his life. Mm-hmm. And Brussel has to take that in. And between that and the massacre, he's then so haunted that he ends up turning drugs. So we tried to look at, you know, everybody from their perspective and you know, the one thing that it's real easy to do, and I think generally a mistake in stories, is to paint people with a broad stroke and to say that, you know, the, the Viet- North Vietnamese were, you know, this evil, um, you know, hor- horrid people. And, you know, we were the good guys and, you know, on the knights in shining armor. And although, you know, we feel extremely motivated and, you know, by positive, um, you know, with positivity, we, we want to, we did want to bring, you know, democracy and make sure that we were, you know, st- stopping the stem of, of communism. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people are people. And, you know, you got, you got to remember that the person who's, you know, trying to kill you and the person you're trying to kill, they have a family. They were have a, either a mother and, and father or, or they have kids and a wife. And, you know, they're just trying to get their lives on to. And, if you don't remember that when you, you know, then it kind of loses the value of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we tried to show both sides to a certain degree. We still feel and still felt like, you know, we had to, to stay honest to the troops and honor their, their service. And so we, we kept that in the forefront always. Mm-hmm. And we tried, you know, not to, 
step because you know, it was very obviously you know as, as you know it's uh, politically it's a very tumultuous time mm-hmm. and you know back uh, here in the states you know there were people were being the, the protests were going on and soldiers returning were treated shabbily and you know had a hard time readjusting and and it wasn't fair mm-hmm. um you know they didn't ask to go yeah. this is something that you know the government imposed upon them and it wasn't about you know what's right or wrong it's about duty and you know in a way tour of duty in the title says it you know that this is this is something that they were bound to do because of their service to the country and you know it's not their job to decide where to go and and what to do it's it's the job of the leaders that you know point and say go mm-hmm. and you know for for a society to turn around and then not take care of their their troops back home was you know another part of the tragedy and we touched on that a little bit as well when mm-hmm. you know we would have uh, uh, like at one point Zeke comes back to the States on leave mm-hmm. and I think it actually is supposed to like end his tour and ends up going back for uh, another tour signing back up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we definitely wanted to look at, you know, how do we, how do we paint full characters on both sides of the story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's whenever uh, Zeke or Lieutenant Goldman are on the screen, especially when they're interacting, it's, I mean, I, again, they, they, I just feel like they keep you engaged because they're not, they're such well-rounded characters. You know, they're, they're torn between all these different things they have to worry about. And I think the way they express that was done so well on the show. Thank you. Yeah, we, we worked on that. You know, we, we wanted those characters to feel like human beings and to feel real and, and like, you know, these are the people that you know. And, uh, and, you know, I, when when we hit it, we were we were real happy about it, mm-hmm. for sure. How about so when you did episodes that made the U.S. look bad, you know, like your episode, you know, with the massacre or some people in the U.S., you know, some mm-hmm. soldiers doing the wrong thing. Um, how was the uh, audience response to that? Did you get a little more like, hey, don't don't put down the U.S. military, or was there more? You know, yeah, you're taking care of important things. You're talking about important issues. Yeah, I, I think, you know, two, two things. First of all, you know, we, we again, tried to play both sides of that line. So mm-hmm. um, our guys really are taking the the side. And, and even within the group, you know, uh, we wanted to make it complex. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have just simply said, oh, you know, our guys come in and, and they look at this and, and they're, they, you know, they straighten everything out and then the guy who's created the massacres are caught and court-martialed and they go away and it's all done. And, but that's why we kind of had the, the North Vietnamese guide. We had Purcell, um, you know, in conflict with him. We wanted it not to be clean and tidy. We wanted it to be real. So when you looked at that and, you know, we do have our guys who come into the field and they are horrified by what they see. So, you know, they weren't, they weren't participating in the massacre. Mm-hmm. They discovered it. And when, at that point, when they find out who's involved, um, that soldier has his perspective of why he did what he did. And he ends up eventually having to face the music. So he's court-martialed for it. Mm-hmm. And that, that happened later in the season. And, but so we, we wanted to show that you know, yeah, there are, there are these events that happened and they were horrible and they were sad for all those involved and it ruined people's lives, you know, soldiers' lives, it ruined 
it obviously you know killed a lot of people Mm -hmm. but that's not that's not everyone and it's and there are the people that you know are trying to do the right thing trying to be good people but it was a complex situation so that even even the people that you know, where they are going, this is horrible, this is awful, this is disgusting, you know, oh my God, how could he do that? They were also characters that were going, it's terrible, it's awful, but I understand. Mm-hmm. I can see how you would get to that place. And we all have that moment of, you know, questioning, what are we doing? Is this right? Did we do the right thing? You know, and, you know, even early on, there's, there, you know, talks about, you know, you, you have, you're in a friendly village, and you, you know, you go into a hut and you, you know, open a, a box and it's filled with explosives, you know, and and you and everybody else is blown to kingdom come. And, you know, that kind of pressure uh, that you'd never know who's who's on your side and who isn't. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that just it's a it's real rife with, you know, presenting paranoia into a group. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to deal with that honestly, but we also wanted our guys to have a certain you know, watermark that they didn't cross, that they went, you know, this line I don't step over. Mm-hmm. And that they did their best to bring those who did step over the line back. Yeah. And uh, that's that was really where our, our kind of perspective on how do you handle that. Um, and, and I don't think we got too many people that, you know, really, you know, came back at us with too much upset or anger. Mm-hmm. Do you recall if anyone uh, who worked on the show, either actors or, you know, the, the crew or whatever, did they have, did anyone have experience having been in v- the Vietnam war or have close people they were close to who could, you know, well, yeah, tell them? Uh, yeah, the, the, like I said, the, the, our executive producer for the final season was Stephen Smith, Steve okay. Phillips Smith. Mm-hmm. And he was a Vietnam vet. He was a, a I think he was a, uh, uh, I think he was, I, I'm, probably gonna mess it up i think he was a gunner in a in a helicopter mm-hmm. um and, and he uh you know he was he was in in it deep and uh he wrote a book about it um which i have i have to see if i can find it around here but he's he was somebody that you know had that experience and then uh, i believe also um our technical advisor also uh and so we had a couple of them uh, a guy named bruce myers was one of our advisors, Paul Sonor. One of our, our technical advisors was Michael Christie. And I believe he was a Vietnam vet. He was, a he was someone that came from the DOD and, um, was the person that really advised us. But we also, like I said, we followed Steve Smith's, uh, guidance as well. Um, and he was there from first season on through becoming the executive producer in the final season. And in the final season, we really changed our, our direction from, you know, starting off being a show about combat. Then it was, uh, the second season. It wasn't about, it wasn't about war at all. It was about, you know, the guys having adventures in Vietnam. And then the third season, we really, really tried to get deeper under the belly of what was that experience. And that was all Steve, mm-hmm. all Steve's. So he really, he really guided us there. And, and Michael Christie was a huge help as well. I'm speaking with Brian Herskowitz, author of Process to Product, and also a producer and writer on the Vietnam War show Tour of Duty. You can find more information on Brian at brianherskowitz.com. If you like this podcast so far, please subscribe to it and rate it if you can. 
please go to my website, warscholar.org or militaryhistorypodcast.com for links to news, videos, new books, and my social media links. If you're interested in other kinds of history, you can find the links to my other podcasts and associated book lists at historyrabbithole.com. That's rabbit as in the animal, historyrabbithole.com. Thank you for your support. And now back to the podcast. Considering the show takes place, you know, 15 to 20 years after the events depicted, do you feel like um, the younger members of the show, did they, was there anything about that era that surprised them? Like, um, you know, trying to step back in time, not that far back in time, but I'm curious how different it seemed, you know, between the 80s and the late 60s. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because the biggest, probably the biggest difference is we were, I think at that point, probably as close to, you know, a peacetime uh, army as we'd had in, you know, almost forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we'd really started to get into, you know, the deep troubles in the Middle East as much. Um, and we really, you know, so the, the kids that were on the show, and most of them were kids, um, they didn't have that experience. They didn't, you know, they didn't grow up with that. Um, they didn't watch the, the, you know, the war on television. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a different experience for them in general. And I think that they, you know, just trying to, to, to embody a soldier, a warrior, you know, in battle and having to, to face an enemy who's looking to kill you was something that they had to kind of, you know, put on as a suit and, and see how it fit. And I think, uh, uh, you know, some, some did better than others in terms of accepting them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think all of them, you know, that was a big learning curve for them mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the service and, and the sacrifice that you had to make. And, you know, not so much the older guys, not so much, you know, um, Zeke or, you know, but, but the young guys that were coming on, I think that they had to deal with, you know, where they were in terms of, their perspective of what war meant and having been through that experience. Mm -hmm. Considering, so I guess because of the success I read, because of the success of Platoon, that kind of spurred interest in these, this kind of project. I guess my question is how much at the time, how much was Hollywood or um, either TV or movies? Were they chasing, you know, were they chasing the Vietnam war you know, to cash in on the sudden interest or, you know, what was the environment as far as wanting these kind of projects? You know, that's an interesting question because it's, it's, there's a strange kind of thing that happens in entertainment and that, that stories become cyclical and there's something kind of just in the water that people are drinking that they go, okay, now is the time to visit this period. Mm -hmm. And Platoon was kind of the first step in that direction. You know, we hadn't really had a a huge successful war based film, and I don't know how long, but for a while, and nor had we really had too many successful films about Vietnam. And part of that was because you know it wasn't the most positive experience, mm-hmm. and, and I don't mean that in terms of the individual, but in terms of the the vision of what we were doing there. You know, if you go back to you know World War Two, we had a kind of righteous 
you know, a perspective on that. We were in the right and we were fighting this great evil and Hitler and, and the, you know, the Japanese imperialism and, and we were the good guys and we wore the white hats and we won. And in Vietnam, we, it was a little more difficult to kind of nail down what were we doing there? What was our goal? And then we kind of got out of it without winning. Mm-hmm. And it, it made that period of time, um, you know, fascinating. But, you know, a lot of people, when it was still a fresh wound, didn't want to revisit. Mm-hmm. But it comes that every 20 or 30 years, people, you know, start to look back and become nostalgic about a certain time period. So in a way, that at that time period, it was just its time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, China Beach, uh, Platoon, um, you know, and then there were, after that, quite a few other really well done Vietnam war films, Mm -hmm. you know, it was time for that, that story to be investigated for us to kind of go back. And, and in a way I find that 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 kind of thing can be cathartic Mm -hmm. that allows an audience and particularly the people that had, you know, gone through it. It allows them to either go, Oh, that's crap. You know, that never happened or to go. Yeah. Somebody, somebody really realized what I had gone through and and capture it. And I, and I can now, kind of talk about it and be a part of it. And I think that's part of what the experience is when you go back to these time periods. I mean, you know, right now I'm, I'm hearing from, you know, people in the industry that, you know, the 1990s are the, the period pieces that are being looked at now. You know, that's the time period people want to do television, not the sixties, seventies, eighties, but for some reason, the 1990s. And, it does kind of happen, you know. One one year there were three movies about asteroids hitting the Earth. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like you know came out within a month of each other. So there is a time when you know it's not necessarily oh that succeeded. Now we want to we want to piggyback on that. Although there is obviously there are people that do that. Mm-hmm. It's really more about it's now that period of time is something that is clearly of interest to people and there's something about it that we wanted to explore about that experience and we wanted to have some sort of either um, catharsis or closure to the way that we went through that time period mm-hmm. i recall um oddly this might be a strange show to sort of be exposed to the vietnam war but magnum pi even though it wasn't about the vietnam war the character the main characters the original show right. You know, they were Vietnam War vets and right. there were little, I forget specifics, but there were little things that in that show and when I was a little kid, you know, I'm like, what is this Vietnam War that, you know, they keep the referencing? Keep about it, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of strange to think that for, you know, it seems like they, what is that, like eight or nine years, 10 years after the war, they started, you know, you have this super popular show touching on it. Right. Um, right. So I don't know if you have a comment. That was just sort of an yeah, aside. I mean, part of that is, you know, again, it it was, again, it was a part of the truth of our history. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't get away from the fact that we were in Vietnam. You can't get away from the fact that we had men that were serving and dying overseas. You can't get away from the fact that it was an unpopular war. Um, n- not that any war should be popular, but mm-hmm. it was an unpopular war from, from, a, from a political standpoint. Mm-hmm. And it was controversial. So it was absolutely natural and right that there would be characters that had that background because that's where we were as a society. And, you know, one of the things you mentioned about the series is that the characters were 
you know, vets, but they, they, and they did touch on it. And it certainly, uh, it certainly kind of gave the, the actors and the characters a, a perspective and a, and a way of, of kind of, I guess, uh, validating their, their skills and their craft. But it wasn't, it wasn't the meat and potatoes of the show. You know, it was kind of like it was backstory, but it wasn't really, that wasn't what the show is about. Mm-hmm. They would once in a while revisit it or touch on it, but that, you know, it wasn't the main meal because we weren't ready mm-hmm. as a country. We weren't ready to kind of take a look at, you know, what was, what we did wrong and what we did right. For, for tour of duty, were there any, do you know of any people and you don't have to name names who just mm-hmm. felt like they couldn't deal with the subject matter and either didn't get involved with the project or dropped out because it was maybe too much for them or. You know, I, not, not specifically. We, we had early on, uh, and uh, the show, like, again, I, the show went through a lot of different kind of permutations. It started the first season, the first episode, uh, first few episodes were all shot in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. You know, and in fact, I think maybe the entire first season was shot in Hawaii. And the, the producer at the time, the line producer was a guy named Ronald Schwery. And Ron was a producer for, um, Robert Redford and had won an Academy Award for Ordinary People as a producer. So he was kind of this really tough banty rooster guy. And, you know, he, he would, you know, tell the guys, you know, you can't, you can't do any overtime and, you know, we're going to keep an eye on you. And he said to them, you know, we have a bullet with every one of your names on it. Nobody knows who you are. You know, we can lose you tomorrow. So, you know, act right. <laughs> and, and, uh, so he kind of tried to put the fear of God in him. He left after the first season. And, um, we had one actor who shall remain nameless, um, who came to us and said, I'm not happy with my storylines. And it wasn't about the depiction. It wasn't about, you know, what his, perspective was it was simply he didn't feel like he was having enough to do and he said so either kill me off or give me more to do and the producers at the time um chose to kill him off Hmm. so he left the show and we brought someone else on and you know we we tried not to do that too much Mm -hmm. um we liked our guys we wanted to keep them together you know we would have actors that would leave but i i can't think of anyone who was uncomfortable with the story lines or with the, you know, with the direction we took the stories in, you know, I, I mentioned that Carl Weathers came into the show and, mm-hmm. you know, we started talking to him about, you know, what he wanted from the show, what he would like to do, what he would like to see, because he was, you know, he's brought in as kind of a bigger name to help, you know, mm-hmm. stunt cast, bring in more of an audience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his, some of his suggestions we tried to integrate into the series. Uh, and that's how we ended up with a, a racially mixed child and a Vietnamese wife and, you know, allowed us to get into that and how that child was treated both by the Americans and by the Vietnamese and, you know, being treated as an outcast by the, both sides. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we wanted to hit subjects like that. I, I never remember anybody approaching us and saying i'm not comfortable with doing this or that's not i I, that that is uh that's going too far Mm -hmm. we just didn't except for the net the network the network would stop us at a certain point because they had censorship and they had they they would come back and say oh yeah no you can't do that but you can do this Hmm. we would change based on that interesting yeah i thought the uh, carl weather storyline was pretty was really great to see um especially since i've lived around a lot of um sort of interracial 
couple, well, children of couples, you know, American soldiers and Southeast Asian women, you know, because of the war. Right. Um, so I, I thought, I thought that was a very good storyline to introduce. I don't know if it was as strong then as I feel like it is now, but, um, yeah, I just want to commend whoever, <laughs> whoever decided to do that. Well, I, I think that was me actually. Oh, really? I may be, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get a call from someone. No, you idiot. That was me. But I, I think, cause what, uh, I had a meeting with Carl, um, and a couple of the other producers, writers, and he was talking about some experiences he had had with, you know, with racism mm-hmm. and, and with, um, you know, people kind of being racist against his child. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that and wanting to in- integrate that into the show. Mm-hmm. And it was actually, I think, my episode where they kind of started to really hit on that mm-hmm. and cast a little boy and everything. It was a storyline that we didn't we didn't do a whole lot with, mm-hmm. but it was part of this idea of making a character full and and real and having you know having a roundness to them. And again, you know, I think a lot of times there were there were guys that went over to Vietnam and they they would fall in love and they would you know find a woman and say this is who I I want to end up with and her. You know, so there were, there were kids that were, came out of those couplings and, you know, you have to, again, you have to kind of look at it and say, did we give this the proper amount of time and did we, did we show it like it was or did we, you know, gloss it too much or too little? Mm-hmm. I think that was one that we went on. Hmm. So one of the interesting things that, that that storyline made me think of is, you know, the character shows a great deal of sympathy for, for the Vietnamese people. And then you find out he has a Vietnamese wife. So then the question is, well, does he care? Is he really like this great magnanimous person who loves all people? Or is it just sort of a more selfish interest where he's married into the Vietnamese culture? And, or is that even indistinguish, or is that even distinguishable? You know, does it matter? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and again, you know, that's part of the complexities of of the story and trying you know, and, and you work with the actors, you work with the producers, you work with the writers to kind of, you know, hash that out and decide what, where do you, where do you stand? And we tried to make calls, uh, you know, a, a strong leader and somebody who was even handed and fair mm-hmm. and somebody who understood the local culture. Mm-hmm. So that was part of, you know, his back story and why he was as magnanimous and as even handed as he was. Mm-hmm. But he also had a very clear, you know, position where he, where he had to go and what he had to do as a soldier. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a very strong delineation between, you know, his wife as a Vietnamese woman, his child, and the job that he had to do against the North Vietnamese. And he kept that compartmentalized as an, as a, as a character. And that was important to us because it is, you know, you, you all, we all have personal lives that, you know, kind of intrude on our, our business lives. And you have to look at it and say, you know, what's too much and what's too little. Mm-hmm. I notice, um, and I don't want this question to sound like as though I'm accusatory or, or, um, <laughs> but you know, a lot of story, I think a lot of the storylines revolved around protecting children. Um, mm-hmm. is that sort of just an easy way to get the audience sympathetic to their plight or is that, or why did you have focus on children at times? Well, you know, we didn't do it that often. I think I think you mentioned uh, an episode where they, you know, were supposed to take 
presence one place and they ended up taking him to an orphanage. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually looked it up. It was called Green Christmas. Right. And, you know, th- those kind of stories, yeah, you know, they certainly pluck at the heartstrings. But it, again, it's, it's a, it's about, does this exist in our, in our, in our universe of the story? Mm-hmm. Is this something that might happen? And is this the way it would happen? Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes, like I said, sometimes we went beyond that or, either too far or too too short but we tried to hit the mark and you know audiences relate to family and they relate to children they relate to the trials and the tribulations that people go through and and one of the sad truths about war is that war leaves people orphans Mm -hmm. and it you know uh, and in vietnam we we had that you know we we were involved in creating this part of that world where you know a lot of kids were left without a without a mother, without a father, and they have to be taken care of. And it's just, you know, that's just a a sad truth. Mm -hmm. And in that, uh, there are, you know, orphanages and there were soldiers that wanted to help out and they would go there and they would bring candy or they'd bring toys or they would try and be of some assistance to the people that were suffering. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's one of the kind of, I think, one of the real positive sides that aren't really highlighted when you talk about war Mm -hmm. are the things that we try to do that, you know, and I'm, and when I say we, I'm talking about the individual who goes, you know, I, I can do something for the people around me. Mm-hmm. And we have people that are good hearted that are in those positions, regardless of what their, you know, what their politics are or what's going on around them. And, and I think that's something that, you know, we, we lose sight of. So that's part of what it is. And then the other part is just, yeah, commerce. We, you know, people relate to, to saving kids, being good with kids. And it does, it draws people in. So with the episode you wrote, obviously with the massacre, you know, you show some dead children. Did the censors have, I mean, that's, that's pretty strong at the time. Was that kind of risky to do or was that acceptable to the network? No, I don't think they, they didn't balk at that. Um, In fact, like I said, the biggest thing that I remember them having trouble with was that we won Purcell um, based on that episode to start shooting heroin Mm -hmm. and they they fought us tooth and nail and and, you know we finally got a compromise with that um you know i don't i don't know why they didn't question you know that it was um that there were children also i i think you know that we were trying to kind of parallel what happened at my and that it was the entire village Mm -hmm. Um, I think they they accepted that, and you know that's again that's a real tough. It's a tough reality if you accept it as reality. Mm-hmm. And we you know we wanted to handle it with some care. We wanted to handle it with some aplomb, and and we tried to make it a horrendous act, somewhat not palatable but understandable. And that was really the goal was so that you could sit back and go. That was, you know, atrocious. It was, an, an, it was absolutely horrendous. But we can see, you know, how people are put into this, you know, pressure cooker, and this is what the results are. And that comes back to, you know, who's leading? Who's leading the band? Where are we in this world? And what are we doing to our to our to our warriors, to our soldiers? Mm-hmm. So now, um, just to talk about sort of changes you've seen in writing or production or approaches to um say action or adventure and, and just to note 
you know, like IMDb shows a few uh, projects you were involved with, uh, w- the Wolverine War. What have you seen any changes as far as approaches or how violence and that sort of thing is presented? Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, on a couple of different levels. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, first of all, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago that there were no real CGI graphics in films. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't that long ago. Now, if you have enough money, you can do virtually anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can you can get as graphic or as inventive as you, you want to. You know, Christopher Nolan can take cities and turn them upside down and make them Escher paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have John Wick, you know, slaughtering people in any number of ways. You can, <laughs> have, you know, there, so there's all kinds of things that you can you can do that you know weren't possible. 20 years ago in terms of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And again, it's expensive to do that kind of thing, but it allows us to, to really kind of push the envelope and the violence, um, violence in, in action has, has kind of gone in two different directions. It's increased in some ways, you know, you see a lot more violence. Like I said, we know you look at a John wick, you know, his body count, I, I can't even imagine what, you know, if you start looking at what, how many people did he do away with it. So, you know, those shows, those films, and there are tons of that kind of uh, movie, those films that have very kind of graphic violence and the amount of blood and the amount of, you know, killing and how people are killed, that really has, you know, kind of extended. And, and some of it's entertaining. Uh, there was a movie of the week, actually, uh, not too long ago, um, on Netflix that Chris Hemsworth was in. It was basically a mercenary John Wick. You know, a guy goes to save a kid who's been kidnapped and, you know, he has to go through this gauntlet to try and get the kid to safety. And it was just killing one person after another after another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're seeing more and more of that kind of story. Um, and, you know, to me, I don't have a problem with the violence if the story's good. If I understand the characters and where they're coming from and the motivation, and I, I think generally, you know, the the films that people support do that pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know, they do. And and then on the other side of it, I think we also have a push, you know, to to kind of minimize violence and make it a little more cartoon like. And you look at films like Sin City, for mm-hmm. example, yeah. where extremely graphic and extremely violent, but a cartoon. It was a graphic novel. You know, and it, and it looked like a graphic novel on screen. So it really kind of depends on, you know, what your tastes are, but it has increased. And the other thing is that, you know, we've, we've, the pace of films have changed dramatically. And that came about because we're now, a, you know, we're a TikTok nation. Mm-hmm. We, we want, we want our, our gratification quick. And, you know, we want to get there, know what's going on, get out, have a happy ending and go home. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're seeing a lot more films jumping right into it. Um, you know, Deadpool, uh, which <laughs> one of my favorite movies of the last couple of years mm-hmm. and, and the sequel as well. You know, you don't get much more graphic violence, you know, with he's torn in two and, you know, his legs are thrown one way and his head the other and blown up and every other way that he can be destroyed. Mm-hmm. But the story was great and the characters are terrific and you follow that and you enjoy it. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're not into violence, you don't see it, you don't watch it. But if you do, if you're okay with it, you know, mm-hmm. you, you go along with that. So the biggest change has been the pace of films for my, 
two cents worth and the ability to to do things like you know wouldn't be able to have a cgi character pick up deadpool and rip him in two and throw his body in two different directions 20 years ago just we couldn't do it right you know now we can uh should we Eh, maybe but we can Mm -hmm. so that's the biggest difference i see do you have any experience with um writing for video games um i don't actually although i i have i'm I've done a little bit of voice acting and I've, I played a, uh, I played a captain in the, uh, what was it? Uh, Medal of Honor Airborne <laughs> was it. So that was, that was as close to writing a video game as I've come. My daughter writes video games. Hmm. Uh, she has one out called Monster Prom. Okay. And they're about to do the sequel on that. But, uh, yeah, I've never written for, for video games. I'd be fascinated to try because, when you write for a video game, um, depending on what kind of game it is, you know, whether it's a, like, a, there, there are some that are pretty simple, but you have to have kind of a spider web of, of choices that a character makes mm-hmm. and then what happens and how they can get back to the place that you need them to get back to. So it's, it's a very, you know, where a screenplay you might write, you know, 110, 120 pages, you probably for the same amount of entertainment, you probably have to write, you know, 10 times that amount. Hmm. to have a two hour, uh, game because it's just, you, you have so many variables and you have to think about, well, if he turns left instead of right, what happens? If he goes straight instead of backwards, what happens? You know, if he uses that gun instead of this, what happens? If he says this line instead of that, mm-hmm. and all of that goes into the mix and, and has an effect on the character and on the story and on the direction the story takes. Mm-hmm. And I ask that because, um, obviously you, you probably know, you know, there's, some super popular military themed games of all kinds out, you know, with complex Mm storylines and, um, and they're part of military entertainment, you know? Yeah, um, for sure. You know, and I, again, I'm, you know, looking at the, uh, the, the connection between stuff like tour of duty, you know, all the way to what people are consuming now. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have a lot of, uh, a lot of guys in the military who on tour, you know, on a deployment in a war zone will come home, uh, you know, games. and just sit down and, and play war games. And it's yeah. like, you know, it's the question is, well, what's going on? Does it, does it mean anything? Does it not mean anything? You know, and, um, you know, that's a really good question. I, you know, I, I haven't really analyzed, you know, why someone who is living it would also want to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, to me, the, 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 one of the great draws of computer gaming is I get to experience a world that I don't have any risk in, you know, so I can, I can, you know, jump behind the wheel of a car and get into a race car and not have to worry if I crash. I can, you know, go on a, a mission, you know, as a secret agent and not have to worry about being assassinated. So those are the things that are kind of fun to, you know, kind of role play in that instance. Um, you know, but I also think that those games, they are immersive. So you, you really do kind of become those characters and, and you start to feel like you're a part of that universe. And I suspect that, you know, when you're, uh, in the military and you're on deployed in, in a, in a place where the tension is high, that that's a way of, you know, kind of getting not, and not necessarily because it's a military game, but because of the immersion that it allows you. And, and, and because you've done the military, you are, are, already kind of skilled in that way of thinking mm, yeah. that it allows you to then kind of let go of the tension and, and 
really it's almost like a, a little mini vacation that you get to go in and and be the same guy you are in life but without any risk and that's that i think is one of the big you know kind of uh, attractions to it and, and to me it's kind of i have a, a what i call the roller coaster theory which is you know people love roller coasters because there's this feeling when you're on a roller coaster that you are going to die and then you don't die. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> it's the roller coaster effect is this, you know, people that want to, to have that adrenaline rush without risking their lives. Mm -hmm. And yet having, cause your, your fight or flight, you know, response is, Oh, oh my God, I'm going to die. You know, I've got to get out of here. I've got to save myself. And then you, you survive and you become a survivor and you walk off going, Oh, that was great. You know, what a rush. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what, uh, you know, appeals to people in going into these games that they, they, particularly, you know, now we're getting to a place where virtual reality and augmented reality is getting close enough to where your, your experience is going to be closer and closer to reality. Mm -hmm. And I think there's going to, you're going to find that, you know, right now they're using it for, um, for PTSD. Mm -hmm. using virtual reality and i've talked to psychiatrists about this and, and the the way that they they will take people that have come back from from war and have had horrible experiences and and help them through their ptsd through virtual reality and playing games and doing things because what they they found is that memory is a little bit like a, a filing cabinet mm -hmm. and that you know the memories that are fresh they they kind of haunt you and as you start to get new memories, it, it can push those memories back down. But when you have PTSD, those memories stay close to the surface. So they have to try and find a way to put other things in front of them. And the PTSD, uh, doing, doing this kind of virtual reality sessions, they found has helped quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that brings up a whole nother thing about well, what, what happens if you, you know, could you implant false memories in a child, for example? And, you know, there's going to be all kinds of ethical questions that come around when we have a, an entertainment that, that feels so real that you don't know what was real and what wasn't. Hmm. Interesting. That's yeah, yeah that's, uh, <laughs> it's deep. It's yeah. Deep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you, let me ask you, um, just to touch on your, uh, screenwriting book, um, just to yeah. kind of ask a question to help plug it. Um, let's say someone listening to this, let's say there's someone who's, you know, maybe they've been to war and they want to write about their experiences, you know, write a screenplay or, or whatever about something they're familiar with, you know, war subject. Is there stuff in the book that, uh, that can talk to how they can process what they have into something, um, that can be pushed and, and sold to someone? Um, a hundred percent. Uh, the, the, the book, um, you know, my, my background, I started when I started working with Tour of Duty was about the same time I started writing professionally for film and television. I had a movie that came out um, in between the first and second season, and then I started writing for the show in the third season. And that really set me on the path of, of working as a writer, producer, and director. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I started teaching screenwriting. And I was teaching initially at UCLA. Uh, and a place called Writer's Boot Camp in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I did that for about 13, 14 years. And the last 14 years I've been teaching for Boston University in Los Angeles. They have a, a program that is a satellite of the Boston University campus. And when I was working at UCLA, it, my classes were all online. So everything that I was teaching, I had to write down because it, it was all, you know, 
they had to get the, the materials, read it, and then they would do the writing. And because of that, I started looking at it and going, you know, I think I have a book here. And I wanted to put together something because there were, there were a few different books for writers that are excellent books, and I recommend them highly. One is, is Sid Field uh, called Screenplay. And it's just a real simple, here's a three-act structure for films, and a lot of films have this three-act structure. And then there's also um, The uh, Hero's Journey, the a Hero with a Thousand Faces by a guy named Joseph Campbell, um, which is more about general storytelling. But one thing that there wasn't a lot of is, how do you do that without having uh, kind of a straitjacket that tells you, okay, do this on page one, and this on page two, and this on page five? I, I didn't want, I wanted to give the the writers more freedom than that, but still give them a structure that allow them to kind of go from, I don't know what I want to do. I have an idea, but I don't know how to write it. How do I start the, how do I start it? How do I expand it? How do I make it into a screenplay? And then how do I, how do I fix it if there are problems with it? And I wanted to do that kind of nuts to suit. Mm-hmm. And I did. Um, that was the book that I came up with. And that's why it's called process to product. And that actually came out of my, my martial arts training. Hmm. Where um, I, I started off, you know, as a as a young kid in, in martial arts, and I found that whenever I would compete, if I felt like I had to win, I would get real tight, and I would ultimately, you know, have a not have a great day. Hmm. And if I wasn't thinking about winning, but thinking about the, the process of what I had to do, you know, how I wanted to get my grip, how I wanted to step, how I wanted to throw, how I'd wanted to to end the match, you know, what I was going to do if they turned to the right those kind of things that I, I did very well and, and succeeded. So that was a really interesting lesson for me. And I started to apply that to the idea, you know, don't think about, you know, the greatest script that anyone's ever written. Don't think about, I'm going to have a huge audience. Don't think about, you know, it's going to win Academy Awards. What you want to think about is who are the people? Why are they thinking the way they're thinking? What are they doing? Where are they going? And what is the story? And if you do that, if you work on the process and you're true to it, the product will be successful. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of the you know thirty thousand foot view of what the book is about. Mm-hmm. Have you had um, students who were military veterans? Have you taught any? Do you recall? Uh, you know, I have, and I uh, but I, I couldn't off the top of my head even tell you you know what branch they were in. Mm-hmm. You know, if, uh, in the 30 plus years I've been doing this, I've, you know, I've taught hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students and I've had students from all over the world and all ages. So, mm-hmm. um, I've had, you know, I've had several people that have had military training, you know, have brought that into their work, mm-hmm. but I haven't, I can't remember anyone who specifically wanted to do a story about their experiences in battle or mm-hmm. in war. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and not, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. But I think that that's a, you know, because, you know, a story, great stories come from, from great conflict Mm -hmm. and there's probably no greater conflict than we find in the middle of a war. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like one of the great movies this year was uh, 1917. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but you know, very interesting film. Did you see it? Not yet. No, not yet. So, you know, it has a, it has a fascinating way of doing the production. Um, and it really just follows two guys through their mission to warn uh, troops at the front line in World War One. Mm-hmm. You know, when they didn't have cell phones and you couldn't 
you know, you can wire her head. <laughs> so it, it's a really fascinating story and, you know, beautifully told and beautifully done and very, very, very simple. And, you know, that's one of the fascinating things about, you know, putting people in war. It's one of the most heightened uh, conflicts that you can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And when you put people in that kind of situation, you know, extraordinary things happen. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. What uh, Are you familiar with the movie? Um, it's with Kevin Bacon. It's something chance. Why am I forgetting? It's a great film. It's a military film, but it's literally him accompanying um, a deceased veteran back to his hometown. So as you were, as you were talking and I bring it up because it's, this movie is almost universal. Well, I'd say everyone I've talked to, it's universally loved as a, Uh um, as a film about basically the home front, you know, this, this character Uh taking chance. It's a TV movie, um, came Uh out in 2009. You know, it doesn't, I don't think it really has any actual military action. It's literally right. this guy, he accompanies this, this 19 year old Marines, uh, remains back to his hometown. And, uh, it's such a simple story and you wouldn't think something so simple could, um, create such emotional tension. And yet it does. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a, a kind of a long history of, of taking that kind of story. There, there was the one with Jane Fonda, John Boyd, mm-hmm. um, where he's a, uh, a wounded warrior and she falls in love with him. And, you know, I, I think she won an Academy or one of them won an Academy award for it. I have to look that one up too, cause I can't remember the name, but, but, you know, there, there are going back even to the earliest, you know, days of the cinema after world war two, mm-hmm. there were stories about, you know, soldiers returning from war and having to deal with both what they went through and, and trying to rebuild their lives. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, one of the things that's, you know, kind of fascinating and somewhat a shame is that we keep having that same history repeat itself where, you know, we see um, our our soldiers, our military who have served us and served the country coming back and either they're, you know, having uh, issues with health, they're having issues with mental health, having difficulty finding jobs, you know, those kind of things that, that have to be addressed. And, you know, we've over over the years historically that's been a difficult a difficult subject for us to tackle mm-hmm. and it's something that we really have to i think really have to look at you know as we put men in harm's way and ask them to take the ultimate you know chance for us mm-hmm. that we have to do a little bit more for them back home and the adjustment and the readjustment of people coming back is an important part of that mm-hmm. you know in my opinion yeah no i agree all right. So where can people find you on the web? You have social media, web page. You know, it's almost hard not to find me on the web. I'm, <laughs> I'm almost everywhere in the world. My, my, um, I have a website, which is, uh, my name. It's www.brianherskowitz.com. Um, I'm also the CCO of a film finance company. That's a startup. I can be found there through, it's called crypto film fund. So the, www.cryptofilmfund.com mm-hmm. um i'm on i'm on linkedin um that's probably the best place to reach me if you're interested in uh connecting with me and feel free to say that you heard me on the show and say hi i'd love to talk to you mm-hmm. and uh those are those are the best ways to get a hold of me 
So I'll spell your name for listeners. Um, sure, because it's it's a long one. It's H E R S K O W I T Z, and it's Brian with a with an I. So it's B R I A N H E R S K O W I T Z dot com. Cool, cool, yeah. Well, I certainly do appreciate uh, you taking the time to speak with me. Do you have any final thoughts or words? No, you know, I right now Tour of Duty is back on the air, and uh, it's on um, Icon TV, I think it is. And you know, if you if you haven't seen the show and you're interested in it, check it out. It's it's a good show. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know just three seasons. You can I, I think you can probably binge watch it pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and and you know you can make your own uh, judgment about you know whether you think it it captured the experience of of the soldiers. And again, I, you know, for me, I felt like we we were just hitting our stride in the third season and I would love for it to go further, but um, that's where you can find tour of duty now. And I, I hope that the audience that, that loves it will come back and, and love it again. And those people that haven't seen it, I hope they find it. Do you know, are they the, the one big uh, controversy? Are they airing it with the original music or is it with the, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. You know, one of the things that happened is when we first did the show, and, and I was in charge a, a lot in finding the music. Um, we had Paint It Black by the Rolling Stones was our, our opening song. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we had that for, you know, every year that we were in uh, first run. But mm-hmm. when we went into syndication, as we were doing reruns uh, and into syndication, they, they didn't want to pay the money for Paint It Black. So mm-hmm. um, our, we had a wonderful composer named Joseph Conlon mm-hmm. and Joe did the score for the opening credits uh, to replace Paint It Black. But mm-hmm. I do miss that song. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice to have. <laughs> but yeah, I and I, I think, but I think the music that was like in the show itself when we had, you know, music playing, I think that's probably still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had a lot of, you know, the songs from the 60s. And at that time, uh, in the late 80s and early 90s, you could still get away with hiring a, a sound-alike group Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as they didn't sound exactly like who you were trying to to copy, yeah. and then uh, that that went away very very shortly thereafter because I think Bette Midler complained about uh, or sued somebody because they did a commercial that sounded like her, yeah. and uh, they they kind of said, okay, you can't do that anymore. But we had some great music in the show, and uh, I, I hope I hope it's still there. I have to go check it out. Now, <laughs> did you choose Painted Black as the opening song? No. No, that was done before, and it was actually done because I, I believe because it was used in in Platoon. I think is where they they had it. it either Platoon or in uh, Apocalypse. Now I can't remember, but one of the two films had it in in the movie, and they they wanted to have that same feel. Because I can't. I, it's one of my favorite songs, and it's because it it opened Tour of Duty each episode. Yeah, and I can't. Right. It was. We, we cut the opening, you know, opening credits to the song and it just, yeah, it really was, it, it you know, it got you pumped up for the episodes, I thought. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. If whenever I hear the song on the radio, I think about the show. <laughs> yeah, it's... me too. Me too. Same, I'm, I'm right behind you. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, thank you very much for speaking with me. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, Military History Inside Out, please subscribe to it and rate it and review it if possible. I have many other options as well to get great military history information. 
You can find links to interesting military history videos on my Facebook page, War Scholar. You can find links to interesting military history news articles, military history archaeology information, and academic information on my Twitter page, War Scholar. You can find photos on my Instagram page, Chris Alvarez War Scholar. You can find my military history videos on my YouTube page, War Scholar 1945. You can also sign up for my newsletter at warscholar.org or militaryhistorypodcast.com. In the newsletter, I post additional video and news links, as well as regular updates on new military history books being published. Thank you for listening.